Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this wonderful message of Jesus Christ. And we pray now that our hearts would listen to you, that we would hear from you the message that you wanted to give us, that message that you began a long, long time ago, even before the world was created. You had it in mind. And you brought it to our earth through your Son, Jesus Christ. And you work in our hearts still today. May we listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, we looked at Psalm 2. It's a psalm that reminded us of how God established his king, Jesus Christ, on the throne. Today, we're going to look at a familiar New Testament passage which tells us how God brought about that Christmas story here on earth. I'm going to reread one of the passages that Brian read through earlier in our service, Luke 1, 26-38. And after that, I want to point out five important truths from this passage, and I'll, I'll give you a heads up that at the end of my sermon, I want you to pick at least one of those five truths, something that you can apply today, something that, uh, that maybe God would be tapping on your heart, something that you can take home with you. So I want to read again Luke 1, verses 26-38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Let me just stop real quick there. When it says favored in verse 28, it's the same word as we'll see later on, the same root word in verse 30, where God said that Mary had found favor. Uh, It's just a word that means grace or gift. And the greeting from the angel was a a blessing from God that that Mary had found favor and and that God was going to be giving her a wonderful gift. Moving on, verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Let me just stop there real quickly as well. When it says greatly troubled, it could just simply mean that she was a little scared upon seeing an angel. Even the priest Zechariah earlier in this chapter, it says that he was... Um, I've got this written here, startled and gripped with fear when he saw that very same angel, Gabriel, that was sent to him. And then when it says that Mary wondered in verse 29, it just simply means that she took time to think about what the angel was saying. And in that, Mary is a great example for us. We should all take time to consider what God is saying to us. Okay, then verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Okay, now like I said, I want to point out five truths from this passage. The first truth is that Mary is a really good example for us. Now, in case you missed it, we are not a Catholic church. Um, If if you're thinking this is a Catholic church, you're in the wrong place. You can, uh, but uh, we don't believe exactly what they believe about Mary. We have quite different beliefs about her. But what I would like to say to you is that we should believe something about Mary. And what we should believe about her is that we should look at her as a wonderful example of a faithful response to God's call on her life. 
And remember, Mary at this point in time is a young girl. Yet in her heart, she so honored the Lord that at a moment's notice, she went with God's plan to do whatever he asked. And think about what it meant for her as a young, engaged girl. It meant having to explain to her fiancé how this happened. It meant having to explain to her family and friends how this happened. And I'm guessing that she had different plans for how the next season of her life was going to go. But at a moment's notice, when God's plan was revealed to her, she went with God. And her faith here reminds me of what Jesus said when he prayed later on in the Gospel of Luke, not my will, but yours be done. And at the end of our passage, in in verse 38, Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And I, I love both parts of what Mary said there. First, I am the Lord's servant. What better, better attitude could any of us have? She knew that her place was to respond by faith to whatever the Lord asked of her. How often do we struggle to embrace God's will in our lives? Maybe there's something going on in our lives and we know exactly what God's will is, but we're not willing to do it. See, we, we've all been in that spot where we, we see God leading us in a certain direction, but maybe we don't want to go that direction. And here, Mary had a choice, but she chose the route of a servant. And then she said, May it be to me as you have said. When she heard God's message through the angel, she knew that her place was to do exactly what God had asked of her. And really, it should be the same for us. God has given us his word. May we be people who say, just like Mary, may it be to me as you have said. May we be people who so seek after our Lord God that we get to learn from him what he says, what he wants for our lives, and that we go in his direction at a moment's notice whenever we become aware of it. So really, Mary is a picture of submission. And I I read a quote on that this week. There's a theologian named Kent Hughes. He put it this way. We cannot experience Christ and his ongoing power without totally surrendering ourselves to him. Now think about what that meant for Mary, but then think about what it means for us as well. If we want to know God's power in our lives, the way that we enter into that and the way that we continue in that is through total submission to God and his plans. That we would be people who say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now for Mary, this wasn't just a one-time thing. In fact, Aside from God, if you were looking for a picture of a a faithful person in the Bible, uh, you could scarcely find a better example than Mary. When we first meet her right here, we we see, just like we've been saying, that she immediately followed God's way. And then by all accounts, it looks like she faithfully raised Jesus. And then when Jesus was an adult, we see that Mary was one of his closer followers, following him all the way to the cross even. And her following of Jesus didn't stop there because when we see her again in the book of Acts, we see that she was one of those people who was praying even after Jesus had ascended to heaven. For decades, Mary faithfully served and followed the Lord. May we be people who, like Mary, submit ourselves to the Lord to be his servants. So Mary is a really good example for us. Truth number two. Jesus saves. Now, if we're just looking at Luke 1, 26 through 38, you might wonder where I'm getting this one from. Well, it comes from the name Jesus in verse 31. You are to give him the name Jesus, it says there. Pretty much every Christmas, I like to ask the question, do you know what the name Jesus means? So, do you know what the name Jesus means? 
Does anybody know it? Save. Save, save is part of it. The Lord saves. It means the Lord saves. Now here's another part of the trivia question. It comes from an Old Testament name. Which name is it? Joshua. Good, you guys knew that one. Okay. So uh, Jesus is an English name. In, in Greek it's different, but, and in Hebrew it's also different. The Hebrew Old Testament name is Joshua. And in the Old Testament, oftentimes their names were like sentences or phrases. And the name Joshua means the Lord is salvation, or sh- shorter or more simply, the Lord saves. Now, you could rightly say that in Mary's day, Jesus was a common name, just like Joshua is a common name today. Parents give their kids that kind of a name because they have that hope of what God will do to save. But there's something more specific going on in the name of Jesus, and we see this in Matthew 1.21. I'll put that up on the screen. This is the angel speaking to Joseph this time. It says, She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This wasn't just some child born in hope that God would someday save. This child was born to be the Savior. So let's think about that really important part of the Christmas message now, that Jesus is our Savior. What do we need to be saved from? Well, like it says in Matthew 1.21, we need to be saved from our sins. You see, our sins separates us from God. God has a path that he wanted us to take, and we all, by our actions, showed that we were willing to take a different path, a path that led us away from God. And the Bible is very clear that the punishment for that sin is death. And we're not just talking physical death, we're also talking a spiritual death that, if left to ourselves, would be eternal separation from God. Now, that is very bad news, but the good news is that we are not left to ourselves. That's why God sent Jesus, born of a virgin, to save us from our sins. So have you received that salvation? The Christmas message is that God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to be dead in your sins. That he wants you to be in an eternal relationship with him, a relationship that lasts forever. But that only comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So to receive Jesus means that you recognize that you have sinned against God, whether that's in what you've done or said or not done or not said or thought or not thought. We've all fallen short, haven't we? God knows all of that and God sent Jesus for us. So to receive Jesus means you receive him as your Savior. It means you agree to go on the path that God has for you. So have you done that? Have you received the gift of salvation by receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Now, I like to think of it this way. That, that first Christmas, some 2,000 years ago, there were some people that weren't expecting to meet the Savior that day. I think especially of the shepherds who were just in the fields nearby. And the angel came to them and, and told them this amazing news. And the shepherds went and literally met the Savior that day. I think of my story, the, the, the day that I associate with praying to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I wasn't expecting to meet the Savior that day, but God revealed himself to me. And, and maybe there's some of you here, uh, maybe you weren't expecting to meet the Savior today, but maybe this is the day that God is tapping on your heart. Or, or maybe, I like to put it this way, maybe you feel like you've already met Jesus, but you haven't given your life to him. And I just want to urge you to understand what the Christmas message is. It's the message that God loves you so much that he wants you forever. 
And the way that we receive that is by receiving Jesus, by asking him to be our Savior and Lord, by giving our lives to him. And if you want to do that, you can talk to God in your heart right now. You can agree that you're a sinner, and you can ask God to forgive you, and you can ask God to give you the strength to follow him for the rest of your life. Jesus saves. Our third truth is God is with us. And this is what I call the biggest blessing in the Bible. And the reason I call it the biggest blessing in the Bible is because the purpose of the gospel message is that we could be cleansed from our sins so that we could live in an eternal relationship with God. God wants to be with us. We see this blessing in our passage today in verse 28 where the angel told Mary, the Lord is with you. And that was great news for Mary because as the angel later said that that Mary did not need to fear, which... Uh, if you were to see an angel, you would understand why you don't need to, or why it would be a fearful thing unless the angel says, do not fear. So this blessing of God with us, it was an amazing blessing for Mary, and, and it's an amazing blessing for us as well. And to show you that, I want to show you one of the other names of Jesus, and we'll go back again to Matthew chapter 1, this time verse 23, where it says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus had at least a couple of names. Of course, Jesus is one of them. And here we see the other one, Emmanuel, God with us. The blessing of Jesus includes this blessing that God wants to be with his people. And like I said, I think this is the biggest blessing in the Bible. We see it mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. When God is with his people, they are blessed. And the blessing of God with us isn't meant to be a temporary blessing as if God comes to us for a moment and blesses us and then leaves us to go and bless somebody else. No, the blessing of God with us is meant to be an eternal blessing. In the last two chapters of the Bible, we see some amazing descriptions of what eternity will be like. And one of those verses, Revelation 21.3, says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Three times in that verse, it's highlighted this idea that God wants to be with his people, to live with us forever. So I want you to think about that blessing of God with us. The eternal part of it is that God does not want us to be separated from him, but wants us to live in a fruitful and joyful relationship that lasts forever. It is an amazing blessing. But also now, I want you to think about what it means to have God with us even right now. That same God who wants to bless us eternally is the God who wants to bless us right now with his presence. God wants us to have this blessing of God with us even right now as we walk through life, as we walk through the difficulties of life. It's interesting, though, that at some times in the Bible, some people assumed that they had the blessing of God with us when they didn't. For example, some people might say, sure, let's go and fight that army because God is with us, right? They didn't realize that God wasn't with them. And it was a tragedy for them. So, if we want to be with God, we need to go the way that he leads us. One of my favorite God with us passages in the Bible is in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 15.2 says, The Lord is with you when you are with him. So this blessing of God with us as as we think of the New Testament and as we think of Jesus coming, it's the blessing that we can walk with Jesus. Literally, the presence of God with us, filled with the Holy Spirit in whatever God leads us into. It is an amazing blessing. 
So are you with the Lord? Is the Lord with you? If you know Jesus and walk with him, then the answer is yes. May we be people who so love God that we keep seeking him, we keep walking with him. But what about you? Have you strayed from God? Is your relationship with God not as close as it should be? I want to urge you, come back to God. Walk with him. Experience the blessing of God with us. And truth number four, God keeps his promises. What we're talking about here is the promise of God to bring about our king. It was a promise that if you're following the timeline of the Old Testament, took about a thousand years to come to fulfillment. So picture yourself being a faithful Israelite somewhere in that 1,000 years between the time when the promise was given and the time when the promise was fulfilled. There were some good years in that time span, but there were also some really horrible years in there. In those 1,000 years, there were years where God's people lived under the oppression from foreign armies. There were even years where they lived in exile, where they, ha- they were uprooted from the place where they lived and they were forced to live somewhere else. Or as we think about the last uh, 400 or so years, we think about foreign nations ruling over and oppressing Israel. I can imagine that during those 1,000 years, it could have been really easy for God's people to say, Hey, God... You know that promise he gave us that we were going to have a king? Uh, Where is that one? What do we do with God's promises? We trust in them. God is faithful. Now sometimes we forget that God is faithful because our life experience doesn't match up with what we think God should be doing in our lives. Is that true for any of you? Let me ask it this way. Has 2017 been a rough year? For any of you? Um, I think in some ways I've seen more difficulty in 2017 than I've maybe seen in any other year since I've been here at Cornerstone for 10 plus years now. I know that some of you are going through some tough stuff. What do we do with that? Do we assume that God has forgotten to be good to us? No. We cling to God's promises. We cling to God's faithfulness and His goodness. So if 2017 has been difficult for you, please know that God has good plans for you and he loves you. I think that some people think, if 2017 was bad, boy, I sure I'm glad the calendar is going to turn to 2018, as if flipping a page on your calendar is going to change things. And, And let me say it this way. It's not the circumstances of your life that necessarily need to change. It's the heart attitude of what we trust God will do in us as we go through life. Because... I hate to break it to you, but there may be some difficulties in 2018 as well. But what do we believe about God in the midst of that? Do we believe that God will give us everything that we need for walking with Him? Of of course He will. That's who God is. Has the Holy Spirit run out of power? Of course not. God can fill you with the strength that you need to walk with Him, whatever comes your way. We need to be people who trust in God's goodnesses and trust that he will continue to bring about his promises. Like it says in verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. We might feel like things are impossible. We might feel like things are really difficult. But let's remember the blessing of God with us. Let's remember the fact that God keeps his promises. And if you're going through a spiritual battle, what do we do in the midst of that? We pray. We pray. We trust 
that God will give us what we need to make it through. Let's move on then to truth number five, our last one for the day. Jesus is our king. I saved this one for last because it's such an important one in this passage. It says in verse 32 that God would give the throne, of Jesus, the, the, the throne to Jesus, the throne of his father, David. Now let's take a quick step back here and look at some of the Old Testament prophecies that are behind this one. One of the really cool things about the Bible is that we see all these Old Testament prophecies and we see them coming to fulfillment. I want to point out three of them really quickly. First, uh, this is one that you uh, really should know. This is an important one in the Old Testament. It comes from 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 13. It's a promise that God spoke to David. He said, When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, it's interesting. I've, I've been reading in the book of 1 Kings for my personal quiet times, and uh, King Solomon thought that he was the fulfillment of this. And in some ways, he was. King Solomon was the son of David. He was a king. He built a temple for God. But there's just one word in here. We could call it one really big word in here that, that points us to the fact that it wasn't just King Solomon that was the fulfillment of this. It's that word forever. And especially if you read on in 2 Samuel 7, the following verses, you see that the promise here given to David was the promise of a forever king. Now, historically, the way that that did not come about was for David to have a son, and then a grandson, and then a great-grandson, all the way on down the line forever. That didn't happen. There were times when, when that line of kings was, was broken, and they, they no longer ruled on the throne in Israel. But... God's promise wasn't broken. The way he fulfilled this promise, and I think you figured this out by now, is by sending Jesus Christ to be the king. And because he died but then rose again and lives forever, he reigns forever as our king. It's very similar to another Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah 9, 6-7. It's one that we often hear at Christmas time. In fact, it was read earlier this morning. I'll read it again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So again, two important parts to that prophecy. One is that it's David's throne that when Jesus is called the Son of David in the New Testament, it's picking up on this prophecy. And then again, the second part of this prophecy is that word forever, that Jesus is our forever King. God kept his promises. Even though there certainly might have been times where the people wondered if God would keep his promises, God did keep them. He is faithful. He brought our King, King Jesus. And then that third Old Testament prophecy, this is the one we looked at last Sunday in Psalm 2, where God said, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. If you remember from last week, this psalm was spoken in response to kings and rulers of the earth who were gathering together against God. They were trying to be free of God's rule. And what did God do? He laughed at them. And then he told them, I have installed my king on Zion. This gets at one of the points that I want to make today. God has established Jesus as our king, but not everyone wants him as king. Or one of the ways I like to say it, that if anyone knew 
what was against us, what kind of penalty was against us due to our sin. Everyone would want a savior. But not everyone wants a king. Not everyone wants a lord or a master. You see, we, we each kind of assume that we have the right to run our lives the way that we want to. At least that's the way we came into this world. We assumed that we were in control. We assumed that we should just pick our life's course the way that we wanted it to go. But that's not how we were created to live. We were created to live in a relationship with God in which we submit to him, in which we recognize Jesus as our King of kings and Lord of lords. So like I asked last Sunday, how are you doing at submitting to King Jesus? Let me ask it this way. If he is our king, what does that make us? Servants, right? So now we get back to Mary. What did she say? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Is that how you live your life? Or do you say, do your prayers sound like, Lord, would you be my servant? May it be to me as I say. That's not the way we should live. We are not the king or the queen of our own life. We are not our own master. We are not the Lord. Jesus Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords. And our best life, our best life is the life in which we submit to him. The world would suggest to us that we're missing out on life if we give our life to Jesus. I would suggest to you that that is life. Empowered by our creator, the one who loves us and has good plans for us. You see, there is a never-ending kingdom in which Jesus Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. We can live forever in the blessed God-with-us life that we were created for if we joyfully submit to King Jesus. And that's not just something we do at the beginning of our walk with God. That's something that we should live out every day of our lives. So how's your submission to King Jesus doing today? All right, there are five truths. I want to walk through them again. This is is my conclusion. This is the part of my sermon where I want to ask you to pick out one of these and apply it to your life. Number one, Mary is a really good example for us. She chose to be a servant. She faithfully walked with Jesus. That's a great example for us to learn from. How are you doing at serving and following on God's path? Number two, Jesus saves. Boy, this is the one. I'd, I'd love it if there's any of you that... If you, if you just don't know if you have salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, please know that God sent Jesus because he loves you and he wants you. He wants you to be with him forever. The only way that happens is if we are cleansed by Jesus Christ, if we receive him as our Savior and Lord. So have you given your life to Jesus? Have you received him? Or maybe it's number three. Maybe you need to remember the blessing of God with us. Maybe you've forgotten the power of God or, or maybe you've forgotten that to be with God means that we go on his path and not our path. The blessing of God with us is an amazing, powerful blessing. And it's for us right now. As we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, God will fill us with everything we need for walking with him. Or maybe for you it's number four, God keeps his promises. Maybe life has been difficult for you and maybe you've started to think that that God isn't doing quite what he should. Well, let's disabuse ourselves of that notion right now. God is very good and he loves you and has good plans for you. And there are a lot of promises that are still yet to come and I guarantee you 
I guarantee you, God will make good on them. God keeps his promises. And then number five, like I just said, Jesus is our king. May we be people who joyfully, joyfully submit to him, recognizing that our best life is the one in which we follow him wherever he leads us. So which one is it for you? Is there one of those that you need to take with you and apply? You see, the Christmas message is a wonderful story of how God wants to restore us into a wonderful, eternal relationship with himself, but it only happens through King Jesus. Will you be his servant? Will you say to God like Mary did, may it be to me as you have said? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for these amazing promises for your faithfulness for how you brought about our king for how you bring about our salvation for how your heart's desire is to bring us to be with you forever and God we know that that only happens through Jesus and God if there's anyone in here who needs to come to know Jesus we just pray right now that they would receive him as Savior and Lord confessing their sin and submitting their lives to you and God, for all of us who know you, help us to remember the, the blessing of God with us and the sure fact that you keep your promises. Help us to remember that we are not the king or the queen of our own lives, but our best life is the one in which we follow you. God, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for what it means for us. We thank you for how it shows us your love. May we continue in your love as we continue to walk with Jesus, continually filled with the Holy Spirit, to bring you honor and glory. And we praise you for the forever relationship we can have with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.